Turning to Ephesians chapter 4, please, or bring up your mobile device, Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, your iPad or your laptop or whatever you brought along today, for your Bible and find Ephesians chapter 4. Lynn Sullivan from Tupelo, Mississippi tells about how in the late 1920s, her grandparents married and moved into Grandpa's old family home. It was a clappered house with a hall down the middle. And in the 1930s, they decided to tear down the old house and build another on that spot where they could live for the rest of their lives. Much to her grandmother's dismay, many of the materials of the old house were reused in the new house. They used old facings and doors and many other pieces of the finishing lumber. Everywhere her grandmother looked, she saw that the old house was there. Old doors that wouldn't shut properly, crown molding split and riddled with nail holes, unfinished window trimmings. It was a source of grief to her because she kept seeing over and over again the old house. All her life, she longed for a new house, but all she got was a new house filled with the old. As I read that, I thought about the frustration that many Christians feel, and perhaps you're here today as a believer and you have this frustration as well, that is, as you live out your new life in Christ, you're an absolute new creation in Christ. There's no doubt about it. The Bible says the old has passed and the new has come. But we bring along some of that old stuff. Sometimes we bring it along on purpose. Sometimes we bring it along not realizing that we have done that. And we try to fit the old into the new. And it makes us miserable because there's no victory in our lives. There's no victory over sin because we're new creatures in Christ and yet we're cluttered up with all this old stuff from the old life. Now we're back here in Ephesians chapter 4 and Paul is getting ready to talk about how we're supposed to get rid of the old and get on with the new. We studied that last time we were together in Ephesians about putting off the old man, the old sinful way of life, and putting on the new man that is who we are in Christ now. And to be quite honest, you're going to notice that Paul is going to get very specific today. He's not going to leave any doubt as to what he's talking about. Because we're new creatures in Christ, if, we're, if you're born again, if you're saved, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a new creation in Christ. You're a new creature in Christ. Because you are new, because you are a Christian... You're different, and we're supposed to live like it. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're supposed to put off the sin in our life, and we're to live righteous, holy lives. 
And you'll notice as we read through the passage today that he mentions what we should not do. Then he tells us what we should do. And then he tells us why we should do it. What we shouldn't do, what we should do, and then why we should do it. And you're going to notice that this, re- this revolves around relationships. Because life revolves around relationships. And we're going to see that here in the passage. And let me just remind you now, as we study, as we read the Scripture, this is not a list of things that we do in order to be saved or go to heaven. No. We do these things because we're already saved and we're on our way to heaven. Because we've been made new in Christ. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can now live a holy, righteous life. We don't do these things in our strength. We do them as God the Holy Spirit works in us and through us as we yield and cooperate with His working. The Holy Spirit, now listen, if you're saved today, by the way, if you're not saved, that's the starting point. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ. But when we become a Christian, when we're saved, the Holy Spirit, that is God the Holy Spirit, He indwells us. He takes up residence in our lives. And it's through His power that we do these things. Now, as a way of review, I want to go back and I want to read the passage that we studied last time, and then we're going to add on today's passage. So we're going to begin at Ephesians 4, verse 17, and read through verse 24, and that kind of is a review. And then today we're going to study 25 through 32, all right? Listen, follow along in your copy as I read. Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. That is, unsaved people, the Gentiles there. Don't walk like unsaved people. Verse 18, Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. That is your old way of life, the old you, the the one that was you before you were saved. Verse 23, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 24, And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, we become a new person the moment we trust Jesus Christ. Now we come to today's passage, beginning at verse 25. And he's going to get very specific, so listen carefully. Therefore, putting away a line, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath. Nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Remind you here, the Holy Spirit is a person, not an impersonal force, not some kind of weird thing. He is a person who can be grieved. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, 
forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Paul here, writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gets right to the point. He's quite blunt here. He tells these believers, and by the way, he tells us today, as this is the inspired Word of God, what we shouldn't do, what we should do, and why we should do it. So I want to make a list based upon this passage. We're going to pull these right out of the Scripture because that's, that's what we have today. You don't need to hear my opinion or my thoughts. You need to hear the Word of God. And so we're going to make a list based upon what Paul said here in the dispatch of the Holy Spirit. And I want to give you five things that we're supposed to do as new creatures in Christ. Five things that we're supposed to do as new creatures in Christ. And, and to be honest with you, they're, they're just quite blunt and they're quite simple in many regards as far as what they are. It's the living them out that sometimes trips us up. But number one on our list, I want you to notice we're to wipe out lying. Wipe out lying. It says here, put off lying in the New King James. The NLT says it even more plain. It says, stop telling lies. Stop telling lies. You realize that we live in a world filled with lies. We are awash in lies. In fact, it's quite hard at times to even tell if someone's telling a lie or telling the truth. That's the case when you turn on the news and you're watching the news and you wonder, are they telling the truth or are they telling a lie? When we hear a message from our government today, sadly, the truth of the matter is, we wonder, are they telling the truth or are they telling a lie? We go to social media and we look at social media and we go through there and we say, is that the truth or is that a lie? Can I just remind you today that we are like the devil when we tell a lie? Because the Bible says that He is the Father of lies. And so when we lie, we're like the devil. We're just like Him because He's the Father of lies. And there are so many opportunities in order to lie. We can lie in so many ways. We can stretch the truth. We can kind of do all these different things in how we present ourselves. We can lie in so many ways. And by the way, all of us are susceptible to telling lies in one way, shape, or the other. I read about a preacher who spotted a large group of boys that were out in the parking lot there. And uh, they were gathered there. You know, it's always a good idea if you see a bunch of boys gathered around something quite excited, you better go find out what they're doing. And so the preacher walked up on this group of boys and they were in the parking lot and he noticed they were surrounding a cute little puppy. They were making quite a commotion. And so the minister just kind of got curious about this. Here's a large group of boys. This cute little puppy kind of walked up and said, you know, hey guys, what's going on? And one of the boys says, we found this puppy. And all of us want to keep this puppy. So we're having a contest. Oh yeah? What's the contest? Well, the one who tells the biggest lie wins the puppy. The one who tells the biggest lie. And that minister, he said, shave on you. I can't believe you would do such a thing, deliberately telling lies. Why, why, when I was your age, I never told a lie. Those boys were there and they began to fidget and they began to look at each other and they were quite nervous. I mean, here's the preacher and there they are, you know, trying to tell lies. And finally, one of the boys said, okay, mister, you win the puppy. <laughs> All of us are susceptible to lying. In fact, lying has become a part of our culture in so many ways. But he says here that as believers, we're to wipe out lying. We're to tell the truth. Why? Well, we know because God says it. It's right. But notice what he says specifically here. He says at the end of verse 25, for we are members of one another. 
We're talking about the body of Christ. And what I do impacts the other parts of the body. What you do impacts the other parts of the body. And when it comes to the body of Christ especially, we should be telling truth to one another. We're to wipe out lying because we're now new creatures in Christ. Well, that's number one on our list. But there's a second thing we've got to add to the list. And it's simply this. Watch your anger. Watch your anger. We come to verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, notice there's a distinction. He says, be angry, but don't sin. Not all anger is sin. There is what we might call righteous indignation. Or right anger. You say, what is that? Well, the right kind of anger is the, when we become angry at what God's angry at. That's the right kind of anger. Uh, there are some things we ought to be angry about as believers. I, I think about ripping little babies apart limb by limb. That ought to make us angry. I think about those who abuse and take advantage of the vulnerable and the needy in our society. That ought to make us angry. There's some things we ought to be angry about. In fact, I think we're not angry enough about some things as believers, to be honest with you. Now, we've got to be right in our anger and be careful with our anger. But there's some things that we ought to be upset about. We know that Jesus, he displayed righteous anger. He went into the temple and drove out the money changers. They were making the house of God a place of merchandise, a place of uh, selling and, and so forth and dishonesty. And he went out and he drove out the money changers, but he never sinned. It was righteous, holy anger, if you will, when he went in. We know that God is angry and when he is angry with anything or anyone, it is a holy, righteous anger. The problem is that much of the anger that we have is not righteous indignation. It's not the right kind of anger. We've got to be careful here. Aristotle said it so well. Anybody can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not easy. And much of our anger is disappointment and frustration. And it's not righteous. It's not holy anger. And so we've got to make sure that our anger is the right kind. And whenever we're angry, we've got to be very careful with that anger and how we, how we handle it. We dare not let that anger simmer and fester. We've got to deal with it in a timely fashion because it says here, do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, don't hold on to that anger. Some people take this even literally. Don't go to bed angry. And that's not a bad idea to make sure that you deal with anger right away. Why? Because if you allow anger to simmer and to fester and to sit there and smolder within your being, it can give a foothold, a place to the devil. Verse 27. I mean, think about how many horrific crimes and murders and the like are a result of unresolved anger. I read about this past week a murder that took place over a high school locker prank. I mean, probably a lot of us have been involved in those or we've seen those or have been the victim of one of those or inflicted one of those in times gone by. But a prank that happened in a locker room and a murder resulted in But it didn't take place right away. In fact, the article said, and I quote, after holding the grudge for over 50 years, Carl Erickson rang Johnson's doorbell and shot him dead, end quote. For 50 years, this, this individual, this fella, over a locker room prank, held on to that anger and it simmered and it smoldered and one day it erupted and he killed someone over it. 
We've got to be careful with our anger. We've got to deal with our anger. And anger can pop up so quickly. It can pop up in the most unexpected places. I read this story. This was quite interesting to me. Retirement homes are generally quiet places. The Spring Haven Retirement Community in Florida found their peace disrupted over a nasty incident at the salad bar. Mealtime turned ugly after 86-year-old William Hawker complained to 62-year-old Lee Foss about picking through the lettuce. Name-calling soon gave way to punching and the police were summoned. One resident was bitten in his attempt to stop the fight. Another knocked down. Foss's mother herself, a resident, tried to rescue her son and the octogenarian suffered a cut on the arm at the retirement home salad bar. Overpicking through the lettuce. Anger erupts. And get kicked out of the retirement home because of anger. It says, be angry, but do not sin. Take that anger to the Lord. The Bible says, vengeance is mine. I ought to pay this, saith the Lord. And so sometimes we have to extend forgiveness. Even though the person may not ask for forgiveness, they don't deserve forgiveness, they never approach us, but we have to forgive. Why? Because when we don't and we let that anger sit there and fester, it can become bitterness and give a foothold to the devil and end up ruining our lives. So, as a believer, watch your anger. Now we've got number three. Number three is simply this. Work, don't steal. Verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Stealing can take so many forms. From borrowing office supplies at work to Milking the time clock to cheating on your taxes. Or outright stealing where we go in and we take things that do not belong to us to cheating. We're not to be thieves. We're to be diligent workers as believers. And notice that this instruction is not just don't steal and work for yourself. It's a higher calling he calls us to here. Not just work and provide for yourself, although we should do that. By the way, we're living in a day where people don't want to do that. And the Bible is very clear. If he doesn't work, don't let him eat. But a higher calling. Don't just work so you can eat. He says, work that you might have something to give to those in need. That is, your work is a divine calling that God has given you to provide for those that belong to your house and also for those who are in true need. Work so you have something to give. Simply put, we could say it this way, don't be a taker, be a giver. Don't be a taker, be a giver. Some of you, God is abundantly blessed. And God will give, you have to give an account to God how you use that blessing in your life and what is it that you're doing with it. Give it to the Lord, pray for instruction, and then let Him guide you in these matters. Work, don't steal. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. Number four, this might be the hardest one of the list. Angers, that's tough, yeah. You ready for number four? Watch your mouth. <laughs> oh, this is a tall order at times, isn't it? Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Remember, we talked about what not to do. Don't let corrupt word proceed from your mouth. What you ought to do, 
Speak that which is good for necessary edification. Why? That you may impart grace to the hearers. That word corrupt is very interesting. Uh, it says corrupt here in the New King James. It's an interesting word in the Greek. The New Testament is written in the Greek. It's translated for us in the English. And they tell me, Swindoll said it was used to describe rotten fruit or putrid fish in the ancient world. Let no corrupt communication. Let no rotten fruit or putrid fish. He says, it, in, in other words, it's the kind of stinking things that make you say yuck. Applied to language, it can refer to several kinds of speech. Cursing, vulgar phrases, crude jokes, even sarcastic, unkind, and mean-spirited remarks. Plenty of the material shared online these days falls under this category. It is corrupt. It is putrid, rotten, stinking things. Have you noticed how rotten people's speech has become in our world? And it's not even hidden anymore. I mean, commercials even have curse words in them now. We're filled with vulgar, corrupt, rotten, putrid speech. And by the way, when somebody talks like that, it just shows what's inside of them, what's in their heart. Because never forget, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. And, and it overflows. What's on the inside comes out of the mouth. And it shows them for who they really are. Our speech is, as believers is not supposed to be rotten. It's supposed to be a blessing. Good for edification. Edification is the idea of building up. So your speech builds up other people. It's to be gracious and part grace to the hearer. So your words are supposed to build up people and provide grace for people, to help people, and to bless people. That's what our speech is supposed to be. Your speech is so powerful. Your words are so powerful. You can tear down someone in a moment with your words. You can build up someone in a moment with your words. It's amazing to watch the power of our words. We've got to be careful with our words. Max Licato shares a story that I think illustrates just how powerful words are. He says, I discovered the importance of, of healthy counsel in a half-iron triathlon. After the 1.2-mile swim and the 56-mile bike ride, <laughs> I didn't have much energy left for the 13.1-mile run. Well, I wonder why. He said, neither did the fellow jogging next to me. I asked him how he was doing and soon regretted posing the question. You ever done that? How are you today? And they tell you. He said that the fellow said, this stinks. This race is the dumbest decision I've ever made. He said he had more complaints than a taxpayer at the IRS. My response to him, goodbye. I know if I listened too long, I'd start agreeing with him. And then Locato went on to write, I caught up with a 66-year-old grandmother. Now remember, they're in an Ironman, half-Ironman half triathlon. And he catches up with a 66-year-old grandmother, and her tone was just the opposite. You'll finish this, she encouraged. It's hot, but at least it's not raining. One step at a time. Don't forget to hydrate. Stay in there. Locato said, I ran next to her until my heart was lifted and my legs were aching and I finally had to slow down. No problem, she waved and kept going. <laughs> now let me ask you, are you more like the jogger complaining, tearing down, or are you more like the super grandma who's encouraging every step 
of the way. Think about your speech. Think about the things that you say. We're often guilty of saying the harshest things to those we love the most. Those that we spend the most time with. Because within the close corners, uh, quarters of the home and daily life and the friction that develops, we can very easily be very careless with our words. And our words can cause great harm. So we need to give our mouths to the Lord and ask Him to set a guard before our lips and to only speak those things which are gracious and kind. Yes, true, but even in speaking truth, to speak it in love. We might be building up others and not tearing them down. Now again, we can't do this on our own. We've got to have the help of the Lord. We've got to have the Holy Spirit empowering us, enabling us, directing us, which brings us to the fifth thing on our list. Remember, we're talking about five things that we're to do as believers. We've we've gone through the list so far, and there's a fifth one I want to add because the Scripture adds it here. And I must say simply this way, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 30. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, remember, the Holy Spirit is a person. And as a person, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit is God. We speak of the Trinity. That is, God is three in one. God the Father... God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all God. It's not one is greater than the others. It's just the role that they fill within the Godhead. So I don't understand all that. I don't either. And I think, I'm not sure we can understand all there is to understand about the Trinity because if we could, we'd be God. There is a mystery to that, but we believe it because God presents Himself in His Word clearly that He's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit, remember, He he indwells us as believers. In fact, the Bible says if you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you, you're not saved. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives in you and He's working in your life. And Christian, when you sin and you get that conviction that comes and that bothers you, yes, it can be the conscience that God's placed within you and also the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will not let you get away with sin and just let you go on your way. Why? Because He's working in you to make you more like Jesus. And here it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And we grieve the Holy Spirit when we sin. And so when we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. And he gives a list of things. We won't take the time to walk through each one of them. In fact, we'll see some more of them maybe next time. But in Ephesians 4.31, he makes a list. Let me read it this time at the NLT because it puts it a little bit differently in a little bit more modern language. Ephesians 4.31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. As believers, we are different. We're a new creature in Christ. We're to live like it. We're citizens of heaven. We're to live like it. We're not to live like citizens of hell. We are citizens of heaven, which brings us to the final verse of the chapter. And it's so refreshing. When you look at everything we've talked about, lying and and anger and corrupt communication and all these things, when you get to verse 32, it's so refreshing because it's a picture of what God is developing within us. In fact, it's a good verse to memorize. It's a good verse to hang in your home. 
It's a good verse to review on a daily basis. Ephesians 4.32 And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Like three dazzling diamonds set in a golden band. We have these instructions. First of all, be kind to one another. Our world is not filled with much kindness. Our, our world is sadly becoming, it seems, more and more harsh. Obviously, more and more evil, more and more dark in so many ways. And yet, as believers, there's that kindness that is, should radiate from our lives. Be kind to one another. Then it says tender-hearted. It's the idea of being compassionate. Having compassion toward one another. Having compassionate to others. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. And then it says something very, very important. Forgiving one another. We're to be forgiving. Instead of bitterness residing in our hearts and giving a foothold to the devil, we forgive. Why? Because we've been forgiven. Christ has forgiven us. See, this is all modeled for us by Christ. The end of this verse says it's a wonderful, even as God in Christ forgave you. This is a description of what God did for us as believers. You realize that, I hope. We were lost, condemned, doomed, rebels in the face of Almighty God. But He showed to us kindness. He showed to us compassion. And He showed to us forgiveness if we would come to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you look at the right kind of life and you want to know what does that look like, just look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. As you look at Jesus' life, you see that's the way we're supposed to live. Look at the compassion that flowed through Him. The kindness that flowed through Him. Even on the cross dying, what did He say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And God the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us is working. And He doesn't give up on us. He's working, working, working. Why? That He might conform us to the image of Christ. He might make us like Jesus. That's the end game. That's the end goal. To make us like Jesus, we will bring glory to God. So I want you to consider these five things today. Do we live this way? So, well, preacher, how do we live this way? I mean, you talk about watching our mouths and not having sinful anger and, and, and telling the truth all the time. And, 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 and how, how in the world do we do this? Well, again, we can't do it on our own. To live this kind of life is going to take a lot of obedience and a lot of humility. As we are obedient and we submit to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God who's working in our lives. And day by day, moment by moment, we take up our cross, we die to ourselves, and we follow Jesus, the one who has always lived like this. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? You went down through a pretty practical list. Did He put His finger on something in your life? Did something jump out at you? Did something make you really uncomfortable because you realize that's where you struggle? Well, why not today, Christian, bring that to the Lord and say, Father, I want to live the way You want me to live. And I need Your help. So help me beginning this moment. Forgive me for where I failed. But at this moment, help me to speak the kind of things You want me to say. Help me, Lord, to tell the truth. Help me, Lord, not to get angry at the, in a sinful way. Help me to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Help me to live like Jesus lived. And you know what? He'd be delighted to do that because that's His will for you, even 
your sanctification. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts and lives. If somebody here does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, may this be the moment your Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin, shows them their need of Christ, and brings them to repentance and faith. But Lord, the majority of those gathered here, I believe, know you, love you, and the majority of this message has been directed toward believers. So Father, work in our hearts, work in our lives. Help us to be submissive to your leading. Take charge even in this invitation. May you be glorified, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn is 374. You have a need today. We would invite you to come. Pastor Larry's here. I'm here. We'd love to pray with you and help you in some regard. But I thought this would be a great one. As you think about living this type of life and serving Jesus, I love this. The longer I serve Him, the sweeter He grows. The altar is open. You come as God directs. 374, let's stand and sing.